1: the Athletic. So, that was the year that was. We've ground to a halt somewhat, haven't we, with the latest wave of COVID causing havoc across the Premier League's festive schedule. But we're in a reflective mood here at Talk of the Devils, and we're going to have a look back. Over a mad 12 months in Manchester. So from Ronaldo to Rangnick and from Gdansk to Bergamo, this is our take on 2021. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and here with us as always are the United correspondent for The Athletic, Laurie Whitwell and United Stand editor and also contributor to The Athletic, of course, as well, Andy Mitton. Hello, fellas. Um, It's been a while since Manchester United have kicked a football, unfortunately, hasn't it? Um, Andy, what have you been doing to fill your time?
2: I spent the weekend uh, writing for the Athletic and editing United We Stand. I put a fourteen-hour shift in the United We Stand on Sunday, and on my birthday, obviously I turned twenty-four, and uh, again, wow, I celebrated Every year. with a celebrated celebrated with a cup of tea. So that was my adventurous weekend.
1: I'll talk to you about United We Stand in a minute, Andy. Actually, if that's all right, Laurie, what have you been up to? Because you've not just had sort of breaks from watching Manchester United play
0: football. You've had breaks from writing about Manchester United play football as well. Charming. I know, I've sort of, sort of timed it. I don't know whether it's a good thing to have a few days holiday when there's nothing going on or whether it's a bad thing, you know, like, okay, I'm not missing out on anything, but equally... <laughs> the bosses aren't listening, you say it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I could have been working and, you know, equally, you know, managed to avoid doing too much writing. But um, no, it was uh, it's good, yeah. Went out in Man- Manchester, went to the Christmas markets for the first time this season as... Uh, posted on on Instagram, Step Into Christmas, favourite Christmas song, obviously. Um had a nice time, but yeah. Uh I'm i Andy, I'm sorry mate. I wish I'd had you over. We could have had some nice glue rind together and, you know, celebrate your birthday properly. We'll do it. And I f- I think you were pretty fortunate in that the games were postponed.
2: Remember Stuart Matheson who covered Manchester United for the evening news. He's like a really diligent journalist and
0: every time he took a week off something major <laughs> happened like Sir Alex Ferguson steps aside. <laughs> well, I remember Simon Peach was on holiday. He, he works at Press Association. Um, he, he went on holiday to New York for, for a week or two. Uh, when Solskjaer got sacked, Ranyett gets appointed, comes back and goes, Anything happen, lads? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was nice there, Andy, as well. You got an invite to the Christmas markets if you were over here. I'm over here, no invite. So uh, Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about United <laughs> We Stand. Um, Andy, I, I've been sort of looking at your social media actually, and the, there is obviously a serious side to United not playing and, and and that's the the outbreak of coronavirus but obviously there's a much uh, much bigger knock-on effect to a lot of people for a lot of reasons none more so than yourself and the fanzine really.
2: Yeah well we, we produce a, a printed mag which we sell outside the ground to football fans and if there's no games and there's no fans we can't do that so I was just very honest with readers and said we're printing this mag and we're finishing it off and it's our best issue of the season there's some so much talent in united's fan base and we're uncertain and, and i'm still uncertain and i just wanted to explain the reality that i can't say to the printers look we we can't pay you this month but the front cover got loads of likes on social media this is the real world and i did that video and I'm i'm pleased that loads of people subscribed and we need that you know we've got to pay for things with something called money including the printers who are working hard and I'm not having people working on the Mago weekend for absolutely nothing I don't think anyone does it for monetary reasons but we're we're printing it and hopefully we'll be able to sell it at the Burnley game or the Wolves game or the Villa game or I'll take some copies up to Newcastle away but there's, there's, there's definitely been shifts in demographics where people come up to us at the ground and say I love your front covers love the podcast which is really nice but support what we do as well and I'm pleased that a lot of people uh, did that and as I said in that video, I don't have any magic answers here, I don't know what's going to happen but the, the, the copies are being printed as we speak and they'll be arriving in Manchester the lads will be ready to sell them, they use the money to follow Manchester United and anyone who's uh, subscribed and supported us. Thank thank you very much. Got no happy ending with this, mate. I don't know where he's going. No,
1: absolutely. Well, if you want to support Andy and, and the fanzine, of course, have a look at Andy's social media. There's lots of links there. And you'll also get an opportunity to see the front cover as well, which is is fantastic. I, I won't uh, explain it completely, but it's Fred again and again and again and again. Um was <laughs> some quite interesting hairstyles. I, I've spelt it almost. <laughs> I've teased you. I don't know. Anyway, um, you mentioned there about not having matches to sell the fanzines at. We're hoping that, well, across the the sort of festive period, there will be some games for Manchester United and other Premier League teams. Of course, the, the, the schedule absolutely decimated across the weekend, uh, including United's game at home to Brighton being called off, obviously the same as the Brentford match. Laurie, do you know what the, the, the status of the... Uh, the, the club is in at the minute after this outbreak of course we know that the Premier League is speaking probably about now actually we're recording late morning on Monday uh, to, to, to sort of formulate some sort of plan for the following uh, game weeks and, and weeks ahead really what's the status
0: at United Laurie? Don't know the exact numbers of people that are testing positive still or that are out of quarantine for whatever reasons they might have but you know I think the fact that they want to get these games going—it's not like they were uh, keen to have either Brentford or Brighton postponed. They felt it was an absolute essential um, result because of the fact that they, the squad had been decimated. And you know, the they kind of the general rule is 14 players. I think is what the Premier League would hope teams could still go with. You know, uh, as long as there were sort of two goalkeepers in that, um, and United fell short of that. You know, it was—I uh, think it was it nine players for. Brentford and then seven for Brighton that would have been available first team players so you can see why you know the Premier League ac- accepted United's request to postpone it I think Brighton also had their own request in for that for that game uh, the more recent one um, and then you, you know you have on the flip side Chelsea sort of complaining that they their request wasn't um, listened to but then you look at their team and you think well that's that's not a bad team you know it's, it's pretty pretty good team okay you can maybe make a debate about Kovacic, you know, coming back from an injury and having to play, but I don't know, I kind of feel like if teams can get these games on, they should do. Um, and it's just, you're going to have to accept that this is another um, sort of disjointed season where you kind of going to have to roll with the punches a little bit um, and try and make the best of it as you can. It's going to be perhaps unfairness built into it just because this is a pandemic and coronavirus doesn't, you know, prescribed to a set way of doing things, and the fact that you know these fixtures are, are there in the diary, um, it doesn't really care. Um, but yeah, th- there's currently talks going on because it's, you know there's so many matches getting postponed. You know, I think anyone you know with fantasy football was tearing the hair out on Saturday when there was the you know, games going down to the wire. You, you... I got nine out in the end. <laughs> that's yeah, good, not great. Good, That's good showing in. I know we're we're quite close actually. And that's with Pep dropping. Or resting, Phil Foden as well. Uh, unfortunately. Well, you've always got but, the yeah, Pep conundrum, haven't you? With the the random yeah. uh, selections that he sometimes throws out. Uh, we, we're quite close, I think, aren't we? In the Athletic Fantasy Football League, me and you. Uh, I think you over. Oh, we? have not checked. Yeah, I did. I saw are, are we, day. Yeah. I think you overtook yeah. me the other day. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but right. uh, but with with obviously that is a minor concern. The bigger picture is you know people's health and uh, these matches going ahead. And with that in mind, the Premier League are having discussions as we speak about a story that um, Adam Crafton and David Ornstein broke yesterday in terms of having a postponement of a whole round of fixtures. So it wouldn't be these Boxing Day um, or for United's case, the 27th fixture against Newcastle. It would be the 28th, 29th, 30th where you know they've got Burnley at home. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that gets passed just because there's so many clubs, I think, now that are thinking this is going to be an issue for us and if we can kind of just give it a bit of breathing room at this period right now. They've obviously then got further down the line when you're going to fit these fixtures in, but I think you can, there's probably a few um, free weeks in the new year that you can have a look at. But we'll see what comes out of the meeting today.
1: Yeah, it's not necessarily just coronavirus issues. It's sort of the issues that are related to it as well in that obviously over Christmas the matches are so tightly packed in. Usually the big squads in the Premier League can cope, they can rotate, they can rest people if they if they need to, if if players are, are struggling with niggles here and there, but obviously if there are players missing through covid, then going into the next game you're unable to rotate the team, players are having to play matches very very close together and of course that then increases the risk of injury and further problems then and and I guess I suppose they're just trying to create some sort of break that that can sort of let everyone breathe a little bit and and just be able to to get through this period as best we can and, and find time in the new year to play the matches which will be very very difficult of course because it's a patched fixture list all the way through uh, but it's sort of got to a crisis point now, hasn't it? And something needs to be done. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. I suppose for United's perspective, Andy, now there's there's a week, even from this point, until Newcastle. So there's a good chance that by then, considering the protocols that have been in place, considering the extra testing that's been taking place at Carrington as well, by then they should be in a much better shape. They should be, and it's still
2: early days for Ralph Rangnick. And he's lost a couple more of his coaches, The players are getting used to the new people taking training. As time goes on, it allows injured players more time to come back. So there could be some benefits uh, to this. Not that it seems like a time where we should be talking up up the positives of it. Uh, I just want football to be being played. I want United to play at Brentford against Brighton. And in an ideal world for the new manager to take advantage of quite an unforgiving Fixture list and that would include Newcastle, away. Newcastle had been battered um, most recently by, by Manchester City. But United were relieved that the game against Brighton was called off. They really felt that the, the team would have been um, massively hampered if they'd had to put one out. So, uh, right at the start of Ralph Ranick's reign, he mentioned uh, a break between um, Brighton and Newcastle. And that's become an extended break. We don't know the intensity of the games after this. It's all new for him. And quite often, players and managers who come to England for the first time, they talk about the intensity of matches over, over the Christmas period. It's not looking so intense at the moment, but let's just see what's going to happen. And straight into January, I think United have got three games on a Monday afternoon. Those Monday evening, Monday afternoon, very fan-friendly as ever. And we'll be straight into the FA Cup. And before we know it, the Champions League will be kicking in. I just hope that games carry on. Fans are allowed to watch those matches because it makes such a a huge difference. But if I'm sounding uncertain, I think it's because we all are. We, We just don't know what's going to happen.
1: There's no doubt about that at the minute, certainly. Keep your eyes peeled then on The Athletic for the very latest on this. Adam Crafton and David Ornstein have been leading from the front. Uh, There's lots of information there about the effect that COVID has already had on the Premier League. And of course, there'll be reports on there what comes out of the meeting as well. Uh, Laurie, it's quite interesting in a way, actually, that we've not heard from Ralph Ragnick on on any of this situation. Because, of course, he held his pre-Brentford press conference post-Norwich. And at that point, there was no sign of any issue for Manchester United. It was the next day where we first heard that there was a problem that the training ground had been closed. So we don't really know his thoughts on any of this, do we? And, and how he feels it's affecting him and his start in England.
0: Yeah, it'd be really interesting to know as well. I mean, I'm sure he's been very erudite and articulate since he's come to England. <laughs> since he's, since we've seen him anyway, he's obviously been that way for a number of years. But, um, so I've I'd been I'd be intrigued to see how much he gives away, what, what he sort of says about it, because we've seen sort of different managers have different approaches really Um in terms of, I suppose, the players' vaccination status, which has kind of become uh, a bit of a lightning rod for discussion because, um, you know, you look at Jurgen Klopp and how sort of forthright he's been in his opinion on players getting vaccinated, you know, calling it a moral obligation. Thomas Tuchel has been perhaps a little bit um, less um, determined to kind of, make his opinion clear on that and kind of said it's you know people's choice and and, and not really wanting to get into that debate too much. So, you know, two German coaches that have obviously had Ralph Rannick as a you know, saw saw some sort of mentor at their points. It'd be interesting to see what Ralph Ranick has to say about it um himself, whether he, you know, wants to talk about The status at Manchester United in particular, because that's something that's come under a little bit of scrutiny with some sources telling us that actually the take up rate at United isn't, you know, as good as it has been at other clubs. Um, I think United would say that actually there's been significant players who have tested positive for coronavirus, who have been double jabbed. um, And clearly it's an ongoing process to try and, you know, I suppose convince players perhaps who are clearly very particular about what they put into their bodies, you know, about the benefits of having. A, you know, vaccination, double vaccination, not only for themselves but also for the, you know, the, the teammates and perhaps the the regulations around it. Because if, as you know, as we know, if you are not vaccinated and you come into close contact with somebody, you have to have a period of isolation. So that just takes you out of the reckoning for, um, you know, the, the next match and perhaps the next match after that. We've seen Joshua Kimmich, um, in Germany, you know, Bayern Munich. He wasn't vaccinated and he had to spend time in isolation. And then he also got his pay deducted because um, you know, of laws passed in Germany about that. Um, so he's now changed his mind and he's going to get vaccinated. He's also had some—he's contracted COVID himself and had some problems with um, sort of water in the lungs, I think. So he—he's just changed his mind. So it's interesting. I'd really be fascinated to know how much Ralph Raniel would, you know, give to us on that basis. I appreciate these confidentiality issues, but at the same time, this is a you know a global pandemic and perhaps all our. Um, the way through it as a country is with with this process. So I'd be interested to see what he kind of says about all, really.
1: Yeah, Andy, are you similar?
0: Yeah,
2: I'd be interested to see what he said. Um, Jurgen Klopp was very forthright and cogent about it. People have got very strong opinions either way on this, and I'm agreeing with all the stuff that that Laurie said about it. Um, It's not clear cut. The example given that one Manchester United player tested positive despite being double-vacked. I know of another one who felt really rough last week and he tested negative on it. So it's not clear-cut on this. And then you've got, obviously, privacy issues as as well. I don't think any rules about being vaccinated would come from the football clubs. It'd have to come from from government. But it's a massive social issue. It's just much bigger than a, a football issue here. And we talked last week on the podcast about fans being having to prove that they had a covid passport to get into matches again that that brings across all different kinds of opinions and people have got pretty strong opinions on that one as well so let's see what happens
1: So, our hectic festive schedule has turned into a bit of a football wasteland, to be honest, but that does give us a chance to take stock of what's been a rollercoaster year. Of course, the ride took in second place in the Premier League after a bit of an up-and-down season for many reasons. Then, of course, United lost the Europa League final to Villarreal after the longest penalty shootout in living memory, I think. It certainly felt that way anyway, watching it. A raft of high-quality signings arrived over the summer, which was nice, wasn't it, for a week or two? That pushed the expectations through the roof. Uh, and unfortunately, those expectations eventually led to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being sacked after, well, a string of embarrassing defeats in the end. then Michael Carrick, of course, was appointed a, on an interim-interim basis, while we found an interim. Uh, in that interim basis, he got us through to the knockout stage of the Champions League and got some great results in the Premier League as well. And then he left the club quite dramatically on the full-time whistle after his final match in interim interim charge. And Ralph Rangit took over to take us forward. Uh, managed a couple of matches before, obviously, the COVID outbreak at Manchester United. So it's been quite a year, really, hasn't it? Uh, when you put it like that, 2021. Um Laurie asked you guys at home for questions, for reflections on the year that's been for Manchester United on the real-time section of the Athletic app. We've not done this for a while, asked for questions, so we thought it was about time. And considering this is actually our last um podcast of 2021, apart from a very special one later on in the week, we thought it was a good time to do it as well. More detail on that special podcast in a moment. But let's get to some of your questions. And this seems like a good place to start. James L, would love to know how you guys would rate the 2021 calendar year for Manchester United, good or bad, maybe a score out of 10. Can I go first on this one? Um, I'm going to give it six and a half out of 10. Are we allowed to do halves?
0: Oh, like a half, yeah.
1: Yeah, because seven feels bit too much and six feels a bit too low um it's been bad at times certainly but there's been some brilliant moments I mean I know that we want the team to be successful as possible we want them to win trophies and things like that but Rafael Varane walking out at Old Trafford before the game and that roar and the fans back inside and the optimism of a new season And just not hearing that roar inside Old Trafford for such a long time, I think will stick with me forever. Um, It even made me slightly emotional when we was there because you just realise at that point how much you missed that feeling Uh, and the way your ears rang when a crowd cheers like that inside a football stadium. It's one of the reasons we all love going to the matches and we all love feeling and experiencing football. Um, And it just was incredible Uh, so for that alone I'd probably give it about four or five points to be fair but at times United have been pretty good as well Ronaldo's come back Uh, there's been some unbelievable comebacks along the way a final and and an awful penalty shootout in the end unfortunately Um, a new manager now as well but yeah I I think six and a half out of ten Andy what would you go for
2: I'd give it (laughs) 6.6 are we allowed to yeah
1: yeah do it I've opened the floodgates now haven't I
2: I agree with a lot of the, the points that, that you made and I, I mentioned some of my high and low points. One of my most surreal points was when I did that bike ride in September, I was gutted not to be at Old Trafford when Ronaldo came back and I was listening on the radio uh, while cycling and I was goosed. I was absolutely exhausted and I'm I'm thinking Old Trafford sounds so loud here. It sounds so, so loud, like as loud as I've ever heard it and it was just I wasn't there, I was listening on the radio. Normally I, I would be there for it. So Ronaldo um coming back and this cyclist came past me and went, listening to the football. Yeah, I said Ronaldo's back. And he said, Is that important? I said, Well it it, it is, it is, um, for Manchester United. And it, is that important? I said, Well, in, in, in football, Manchester United are important. And is football important? And I felt like saying, Well, it is to me, mate. And I was I was a bit surprised you didn't kick him off his bike, Andy. I um I did. I'm in court next week <laughs> for it, mate. And, uh, but I just didn't want to say. That. <laughs> Made me realise that not everyone loves football like we do. No. Sometimes we're in a bubble where so much of your life is with people who have opinions on football. So to meet people who actively dislike it, well, I remembered it quite clearly. That's why I'm talking about it you now.
0: Yeah. Laurie, what would you give it? Well if you've gone 6.5 and Andy's gone 6.6 can I go 6.66 like you know the de- the Recurring. The, de- the devil's number you know the red devils and all that I don't know. Um it, that's a that's about the right mark in it because you can't you can't give it a 7 because 7 Im- Im- implies success doesn't it? And okay, Europa League final it's not that's not success and you know United have ended up sacking a manager so yeah but it, I I touch on what you said Ian I agree that Football for me is about moments and shared experiences. And there's been actually quite a few good ones like that, you know, probably because United have been bad in the first place, you know, the comebacks, basically, Atalanta and Villarreal. (laughs) And you might say, well, they should be beating Atalanta, they should be beating Villarreal. But actually still being there in those moments was pretty special and, and, you know, kind of fulfilling, really. So, yeah, give it a a smudge more than you two, but that's about it. I love that. Six point... 5.6.6
1: 5, 6.6, and 6.66. <laughs> the little <dot laughs> At least we all it. agree, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, the, the recurring yeah. little thing. Yeah, I remember that from doing algebra at school. Is that even algebra? Probably not. Anyway, let's move on from maths. Um, Next question, Yehuda. How do you see the current plan for the future? Is there a clear idea of how the next few years are supposed to look? Is there a certain candidate to take over next season? And if not, or it doesn't work out, are we facing another roll of the dice with a new manager and a completely new way of playing? Right, let's break it down. Laurie, I'll give you the first section if that's all right. How do you see the plan for the future? And is there a clear idea now of how the next few years should look? Hmm, um, not sure.
0: You've answered it. <laughs> I just, I think that the, this, they basically were planning with Solskjaer, weren't they? You know, that was, that was the idea. That was the, this is our guy. He gets the club. You know, we're on a sort of good, steady progress, et cetera, et cetera. That changed. Ralph Renwick came in and now, you know, John Murta's relationship with Ralph Renwick from before, where clearly they he, he understands that he's a smart guy and, and can, could be somebody to really, Benefit United for a number of years, um, but the whole arrangement is that he's an interim manager until the end of the season. Now we don't know what's going to happen at the end of that, and I don't actually think Manchester United at the moment have a clear idea of what that's going to be. You know, when it comes to it, because you know, as Ralph Ranick Maybe he was joking a little bit, but equally did say it in his unveiling press conference. You know, maybe he will do so well that everybody, including himself, go, actually, maybe I should continue as the manager. Um, Alternatively, you know, there's Murcio Potatino at PSG. What's going to happen with him? Eric Ten Hag at Ajax. I don't think, certainly when United were appointing Ralph Ranjic, the word being put out was that they didn't have, it wasn't like it was a a fait accompli where they, they had somebody ready to go once. Runyic stopped being interim manager it was very much this is our guy right now we'll come to the permanent manager in due course you know let's see how this goes he's had three matches so it's not a big sample size to judge whether he's going to be a success or not um there's been some good bits but equally you know there's certainly been areas to improve so i that's my personal opinion based on you know what i'm hearing from people that i don't think united have a definite direction that they're going to go i think they would clearly like to have somebody in charge like Ralph Rangnick, you know, or like Mauricio Pochettino, or Eric Ten Hag, who has a good way of playing and has faith in youth and can develop um, the academy as well and had kind of an overarching view of what it means to progress as a club. So that's about it though. It's sort of broad brushstroke stuff rather than fine detail.
1: And the second part of the question, Andy, is there a certain candidate to take over next season? I know we're potentially looking at a roll of the dice with a new manager and a new way of playing again?
2: I don't think it's as haphazard as a roll of the dice. I think you look at the names, and Laurie mentioned one in, in Pochettino, or another one in, in, in Ten Hag, they would be the most probable candidates, just as Sven-Goran was when Sir Alex Ferguson said that he'd stepped down and he was actually approached and agreed to take the Manchester United job. I think it's all about results. I think if we're 15 games into Ralph Rangnick and United have won 14 matches, he will have all the power. He will have fans and people in the club going, This is the man. He knew exactly what he's doing. And his position, you might think, I quite like this. I'm going to be manager. I'm going to carry on. Or I might anoint a a successor. If after 15 games he's won four, drawn six, and looking pretty unconvincing, what you'll get is people going, Who is this blagger? Who is he even managing? Um, and it'll be like thanks but no thanks at the end of the season and then you bring in one of the names. So I, I think it, he's got a chance now to impress and a lot will, will be on him and there will be some patience for a new manager because I think United fans are pretty patient and they'll get support at the matches. Um, not really heard his name sang so far, I've heard all his So there's this really weird situation at the moment where it's all a bit uncertain on, on many different levels I think if United fans can see a clear discernible style or if United were to go to some really good uh, teams and beat them or if United were to win the Champions League, all them things would really strengthen uh, Rangnick's um, case. But I don't think any decision has been made. And then who is making that decision? What's Ed Woodward going to do? Is he stepping down? Is he going to be a consultant? There's not even clarity about that. Who's making the decision? Who's having influence into making these decisions what happens to the other guys who interviewed for the interim job some of them who made a a very good impression so I don't think the decision's been made and with Mourinho I think you could bring it back three or four months and you knew he was coming no one would admit to that because it was as close to being watertight as possible but you just knew and the club denied it I remember speaking to someone at the club in the April at West Ham away And that person said to me, I don't think we'd employ somebody like that. And at that time, Jose Mourinho knew that he was coming to Manchester United. So there'll be lots of smoke and mirrors, but results will play a major factor in the decision.
1: You mentioned Woodward there, Andy. Uh, The guest sent us a lot of questions, as you always do, the guest. So thank you very much as always, for doing that, Um, so much so that on our running order today, um, his name is next to the word highlights, because there's so many questions. Uh, One of them does actually relate to Ed Woodward, though, Laurie, if you wouldn't mind picking this one up. He says, what's going on with Ed Woodward? Have the fine details surrounding his exit been
0: finalised yet? I'm going to add a question at the end of that. Is there even going to be an exit? Well, this is it. It's now, you know, you get into a grey area of, okay, I'm leaving, I'm not going to be the executive vice chairman anymore, but actually... You know, let's keep me on as a consultant. You know, which seems to be this Wolf of Wall Street moment. Yeah, well, this is—I mean—and—and now United will say that as a corporate entity, this happens all the time, where chief execs move on and they're kind of retained as a chief exec as as a consultant on a non-exec basis or whatever. I mean, there's certain people at the Premier League that would very much like Richard Scudamore to still be engaged as a consultant. I think he probably does have, uh, you know, sort of a line in there. But you know, with all the disharmony they've had, you know, in terms of different questions and what have you his experience I think a lot of people would have felt would would have been vital Edward would uh, you know clearly knows the club inside out and has relationships with certain agents and certain other sporting directors at other clubs in terms of doing deals clearly he was involved with the deals that got done uh, last summer Um, but now I would argue that you know the whole point of him stepping down was because the Super League you know plot basically and you know he you know, collaborated to um, get that done in a kind of secret way. And then the whole idea was that he would step down out of principle because he couldn't support it ultimately in, in some kind of weird way. But now he's now perhaps going to stay on, um, which I don't know, just means, makes it confusing for me um, as to how those things align. Um, now, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think the idea that, you know, perhaps he, I don't think he, I don't think he will fully step away um, because I think there's, you know he's obviously been at the club for such a long time, and the Glazers have that trust with him that they would like to see. You know what he can still do for the club, um, but I think that makes it. I think there needs to be a clear direction there, though. You know who is going to take over from him if it is Richard Arnold, which we think it is. What's his exact role going to be? What is the exact role of John Murta as the football director, and then Darren Fletcher as the technical director going to be? Because I think there has been. Um, you know, a lack of clarity over those situations and and what each of their responsibilities are at the moment. And as you say, if you're then going to try and pick another manager, that that clearly needs to be from, you know, a considered um, strong kind of voice. Um, So, yeah, I don't think I have a full answer there, Vigee. Sorry for sort of myself being a bit cloudy, but um, yeah, (laughs) that's all we've got at the moment. Yeah, the Wolf of Warwick Road. Does that work? Could that be in the intro
1: when you eventually write what's happening with Woodward's future, Laurie?
0: I like, well, great film. So yeah, any, anything that doth a cap to Leonardo DiCaprio uh, in, in that kind of wild ride. I, I think Ed's a bit of a, a different character to um, <laughs> to, to, to Julian Buffon. What's he called? The guy that's in it.
1: I, I don't know, but that sounded, if you'd just stuck with that, I wouldn't have disagreed <laughs> to be fair. It sounded right. Listen,
2: if Margaret Robbie wants to walk down Warwick <laughs> Road, then there's ample opportunity for her to sell United We Stand. I'll put that on the record now. There's a clear job offer there. All we need is games to sell it at.
1: Andy, we're going to daff our cap to chapeau. Let's do a chapeau of the week. I said we were going to do it on the last podcast, didn't I? So, right, chapeau of the week is to your article, Andy, about the coaching staff because, obviously, it's become even more exasperated by the departure now of Kieran McKenna and Martin Pert as well. But you've listed across this calendar year the amount of talent that United have lost um, and, and in those first sort of... Couple of paragraphs you list who's left Nicky Bourke, Olegana Solskjaer, Michael Carrick, Kieran McKenna, Martin Pert, Casey Stoney. Um, In terms of the situation now with United, there are some questions on this as well, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, Where does it leave United, Pert and McKenna leaving, first of all?
2: First of all, can I say that chapeau is what cyclists say to each other all the time? Is it? That's when, yeah, it's a a big cycling term. Go on, chapeau. Not the fella who was asking me about Ronaldo. He didn't do it to me. He's not and a chapeau, is he? He's a chapeau. Him, chapeau is massive in 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 cycling. Where does it leave? Well, I've written an article and I've got good sources for for, for writing it. i am doing our job properly. Not a popular article to write at all. Because at the moment, everything's like everything's gonna be perfect under Ralph. He's the new manager and everything could be great. Whereas Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and some of his coaches around him will be associated with failure. The facts are that Ralph Rangnick wanted to keep Michael Carrick, wanted to keep Kieran McKenna, Martin pert and they've gone. So they're the facts. So you can say whether they're good or bad at the job, and I'm told that they're good at the job. That's not a unanimous opinion. But clearly Kieran McKenna, who's going to take the Ipswich job and take Martin pert with him, is Perceived to be a talented young coach. Will he be a great manager? Well, that's not for Manchester United. He's 35 years old. He's never managed a um a, a senior man's side. What it means for Manchester United is on a day-to-day basis, there's been significant changes on the coaching pitch. When Ralph Rangnick came in, he was going to work in this sort of hybrid situation for a number of reasons, one being Brexit, one being the fact that it was mid-season, one being the fact that some of the coaches he'd like to bring in were already in, in employment. And that is now changing. So he's brought in one coach and he's brought in a, a very small staff around him, which he said he would do at the start. So you've got players working with with new staff and United have lost a lot of the people who've been there. And I'm not about the manager. I can understand completely why Ollie lost his job. I can understand why people might say good riddance when you mention all of those names that have been mentioned. What I'm saying is there have been significant changes on a day-to-day basis. None of this matters if Manchester United start winning matches again. Ralph will be hailed with a big chapeau. You are the absolute man. You know exactly what you're doing. But I speak to people, and I know Laurie does as well, who know what's going on, underneath the bonnet, on a day-to-day basis, and there's been significant changes. Ralph Rangnick had a good early relationship with Kieran McKenna. They both obsessed about coaching and the finer details. And these are the people who were taking coaching. And one example I gave in the piece, Martin Pert. He doesn't really have a a profile. He was the guy who was the main contact for a lot of the players who were out on loan. And now he's gone. So who did they ring? He was a linguist who would train the players who not made the, the match day squad. So there's changes going on. And some good might come from this. And some people who might not be happy to... Coaches have gone, well, then those might have been put out of joint. And being a disruptor might not be a bad thing either. And Ralph Rangnick might come in and raise the levels across the board. But what I know is that as we speak in December 2021, there are big changes going underway. And not all of them are as Manchester United planned because they thought that the coaches, like Kieran, uh, would be staying around and not leaving mid season. You cannot blame him for going. You couldn't blame Brian Kidd for going to Blackburn Rovers. Not only for financial reasons, but coaches are not really, really well paid. you go got to manage a club like Ipswich, who had 29000 on Saturday against Sunderland. That is a massive, massive job. You can't blame him for taking his own man. And this happens in football all the time. David Moyes, um, I quoted this example in the article. When he came in, he was strongly criticised for getting rid of people like Eric Steele, Rennie Moolenstein, Mike Phelan. And this just happens in football. That's the way it is with Benchmen. Managers take their assistants with them. Will it be right? We don't know. We just don't know. But as a journalist, it's my job to report on what's happening.
1: Okay. I mean, that was a very comprehensive answer. So, Sharif, there was a question in there on the coaches, but I think Andy answered it there. Uh, If you want to know more, of course, about the situation, have a look at Andy's article. It's up on The Athletic at the minute. Very, very comprehensive, the article, as well as his answer there. So, also detail... This morning uh, from David Ornstein that Jesse Lingard is choosing not to leave Manchester United in January. He wants to stay again and fight for his first team place. Of course, he's out of contract in the summer. There's a question relating to this, Laurie, if you wouldn't mind taking it on. Tom says, can you see United replacing Mata, Cavani, Pogba and Lingard as well as strengthening the first 11? I'm presuming he's meaning across the next two windows because for, for January, that'd be quite a lot of work, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, I can't see January offering a great deal of movement. It's always a difficult window. The issue with Jesse Lingard was clearly he's got six months left on his contract and there's there's obviously clubs that might want to use him for that second half of the season and he'd be an excellent addition. You know, certainly you look at Newcastle, um, you know, they've obviously got a bit of money to spend now so could he be enticed to go up there? The word from David Ornstein in his column is that actually no, Jesse Lingard would rather stay at Manchester United, fight for his place under Ralph Ranick, who you can see how there's a a synergy there you know with the way that he wants players to close down that's been a huge part of his coaching since he's come in you know the, the fact that getting the ball back quickly and Jesse Lingard clearly at, at his best is is great at that kind of stuff um he sort of lost his way a little bit under Solskjaer at one point for that but you know back at west ham and then at times this season when he's been given a, a chance I know it's only been a few times he's he's looked really good both in possession and out of possession, so you know you could see how he could possibly work as one of those two number tens. If you know Ralph, and does include, does indeed uh, continue with the four two two two. I would have to check myself when I say that. I was put an extra two in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, listen, that's that's his prerogative. If he wants to stay, you know, he probably will get more chances if he if he left and went somewhere else. But actually, he equally will probably be able to get if he does ultimately leave a better deal. You know, more options as a free agent in the summer. So why would he? You know. Jeopardize himself um, by moving now, Um, and equally, you never know. There might still be a contract offer that comes from United that he goes, yeah, actually, I'll agree to that. Um, You know, at the moment, that isn't the case. You know, he's he's not happy with the terms that have been proposed. Uh, I think, as anybody would do in this situation, who's fit and healthy, waiting to see what they could get at the end of the season when they are a free agent is probably the smart move.
1: Yeah, um, let's move it on then. That's again a very comprehensive answer. Last question then, Ramazan. Uh, about the goalkeeping situation. And you've written an article as well, Andy, uh, that was up on The Athletic, I think on Friday. It's been there for a few days now. Uh, If people want to go and have a look at it, it it's about David De Gea, basically. It's about the fact that whenever Manchester United struggle, he seems to end up winning individual awards. Um, And also about the competition that Dean Henderson has offered him and how that's brought the best out in David De Gea as well. Really interesting article. Big issue for Manchester United at the minute is Henderson's future, it seems now. Ramazan's question... Relates to that, Andy. If Henderson leaves in January, what will happen to De Gea? Will he keep his level or relax and return to that 2021 form, which, of course, saw him lose his place in the team to Henderson? Something else which is detailed in that article of yours, Andy?
2: It's a good question. And what you'd hope would happen is not what happened last time. David De Gea's training dropped off. And Dean Henderson, although he won't fully be appreciated for doing this, is a major reason why David De Gea is doing so well. Because David knew that Sergio Romero, while individually when he came up and was popular with United fans, wasn't going to be selected over a long period of time. And if you know that, if you know that you're number one, then consciously or subconsciously, your level's dropped. And I'm told that they did drop. I'm told that this season, uh, he's been training much, much better. That the goalkeepers who are there at the moment, they're all grafters. They've been around the block. Not just on the pitch, but in the gym as well. you, you got Tom Heaton, you've got um, Lee Grant, Matic, the young goalkeeper, and Dean Henderson as well. With De Gea, that piece is largely positive. There are a few doubts about him. Same where he could still improve. Um, coming out of his area, sometimes there are doubts about whether he's physical enough. That's not my opinion. That's me speaking to people who know far, far more than I do. I spoke to four different people as part... Of of that article uh, on and off the the record and it was a broadly positive piece about David De Gea because it was written after Norwich where he was man of the match, well why was he man of the match? Partly because Norwich was so good and kept cutting through Manchester United I think De Gea's stock is much higher now than it was at the start of last season when he was making those mistakes Dean Henderson doesn't want to be a number two anywhere and you can understand that as a Manchester United fan, I'm concerned that the level of the goalkeeper stays at where it is at the moment. And if he goes, who is there to challenge him? Tom Heaton, great pro. He's not David Here's level. The other lads are not either. The other lads have been looking to go out on loan or coming back. So a top club should want two really good goalkeepers. It's easy for us to say that. It's not easy when you're a number one and you're being used as a number two.
1: No, very true. Right, let's round it off then with one last question. Nick has asked, lowest and highest points of 2021. Well, considering this is the last question of the last normal podcast of 2021, forget the lowest. We've we've done enough doom and gloom, haven't we? (laughs) Just one moment then. The highest point of 2021 watching Manchester United, Laurie Whitwell.
0: I think probably, you know, just because I was in the stands and I know it doesn't, Mean much, you know, if United then go out in the next round, but the late winner against Atalanta, just because it was a pretty desperate situation, looked like United were going to get hammered. And clearly, Paul Scores called it right when a few days later they did get hammered at Old Trafford playing the same way. But in that actual moment, you know, European night under the floodlights, you know, Ronaldo basically <laughs> just de- determined not to. To lose or to kind of not, you know, slip into the Europa League when it it felt quite pivotal. You know, I know progression in the Champions League isn't uh, the barometer by which United should gauge success. You know, just getting out of the group stage, but I think it was a a special night. You know, electric atmosphere, players playing, you know, for the club. You know, at that point for Olegan Solskjaer, and you know it was a thrilling match, great end to end stuff, and, and a great occasion. So probably I'd go for that as a high point. Andy. In the best two
2: results were Liverpool at home in the FA Cup at the start of the year and Manchester City away in the league. But that's nonsense because as Laurie says, if you're there and the stadium is full and both of those games were played behind closed doors, so great results. But if Laurie's going to go with Atalanta at home, I'll go with Villarreal at home. Similar circumstances. They were a the better team in the first half. Villarreal away was a better result, but... Villarreal was so good against United in that first half at Old Trafford and to get that late winner from Ronaldo, the older the Stretford end, bouncing, singing Viva Ronaldo, that was brilliant. At that point I thought, alright, we're not going back into the Europa League, it's not as clear cut as I felt at at half time. There's been a lot of good moments when you look back at individual matches but... Those two. Laurie's right with Atalanta. And what about you, Ian?
1: Well, I sort of touched on it before, didn't I, with Varane. I I don't think I can look past that day against Leeds. Uh, While you were giving your answer there, Andy, I just looked back at my Instagram post from that day. What a sight this was. Stands packed with fans from the pre-match buzz to the surprise unveiling of Varane, the celebration of five goals. That was one of the best days at Old Trafford in years. I took this picture after full-time as we were waiting to do the post-match interviews and barely a single supporter had left this corner of the stadium. No one was desperate to beat the traffic yesterday. They were still singing as loud as during the game, which made me trying to speak to the players and hear their answers almost impossible. It was brilliant. I I, I don't think I can look past that day. The, The opening day of the season, fans back in the stadium, five goals against Leeds... It was absolutely fantastic. And all that without Ronaldo. He just added a bit of fairy dust, didn't he, in the the weeks uh, after that. So, yeah, I think Manchester United 5, Leeds United 1, which at the time as well looked like a brilliant result. Since then, Leeds have struggled a little bit, haven't they? But, um, yeah, I'm going to go for that. Right, okay, that's it then for our podcast today, Talk of the Devils, and that's it for our Q&A as well. Thank you so much, everyone for sending your questions in to Laurie and of course thank you as well for getting involved with this right across the year on Talk of the Devils. Uh, It's been a brilliant year for the podcast. It's gone from strength to strength. And a big part of that is how much you guys have got involved, how engaged you've been with it, and the feedback that you've given us at every stage has been absolutely brilliant as well. So thank you all for listening across this year. We will be back with one more podcast before the year is out because one man has dominated Manchester United's history over the past 30 years and... On the 31st of December, we are going to celebrate his 80th birthday. Yes, Sir Alex Ferguson is 80. To mark the occasion, we've asked the Athletics' big guns to dig into his legacy and we'll have a special podcast episode featuring some of those writers talking to us about a man who has stood astride British and European football as it transformed beyond recognition. A real tribute to him and a podcast very much to look forward to. That'll be great fun to make, I'm sure, and I'm hoping it'll be a great listen as well and you'll be able to download that podcast from Boxing Day. But for now, Andy... Thank you very much for being with us on Talk of the Devils across this year. Laurie, thank you to you as well. And we'll see you again. Well, we'll see you on the next podcast, but we'll see you again in 2022. Let's hope that we've got some brilliant matches from Manchester United or even some average matches. Any matches we'll do right now, won't they, after the crisis of the last couple of weeks. But thank you all for listening to this one and all of our podcasts across 2021. And we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.